When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I have got a good friend of mine on here, that Thad Shively. And Thad Shively has been in the business, the farm equipment business for a long time. And he is, I don't know if retired is the right word, Thad, or if it's just slowing down or just doing the stuff that you want to do. I don't know for sure what what it is, but you're you've you've kind of stepped away from the from the active role in in the dealership when you were CNB and you've kind of done kind of done a few other things, but you're still really active in what's going on. So that why don't you do this? Why don't you introduce yourself kind of how you've long you've been in the business, how you started doing this, where you're at now, and then, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Well, first of all, Casey, thanks for having me. And my pleasure, man. The friendship thing goes both ways. You meet a lot of people and that's been kind of the, the neat part of this whole industry is, you know, you meet people at meetings, you have a little conversation, you meet them again. It's just amazing how small of a, of a circle of network of dealers you live in or whatever. So um, appreciate you keeping me part of that. So my history really grew up on a farm in central North Dakota. Um, farmed for a few years. It was during the 80s. I don't need to go into that whole deal, but things were trending in a direction that was unfavorable. So got a little farm experience too, but uh, actually went to work at rugby as a 
rugby equipment at the time, a single store as a salesperson, and that would have been in 1985. So it's about 38 years, I guess, in the industry. And then um, became a partner in that, I think, in about 91 and uh, eventually bought another dealership in Harvey, North Dakota, I believe, 96, 97. And then, um, you know, about that time was when the real consolidations and mergers and some of that stuff was going on. So you either were, you know, capitalized to grow or became part of something else. So we opted to sell and, um, and that organization now is part of Gooseneck Implement, who a lot of those guys, you know, were people that I worked with and hired and whatever. So anyway, became part of CNB in 1999 and uh, worked for them always in sales or sales management or asset management. So kind of dealt with the used equipment thing, you know, my entire life and so forth. So that's really... Um, my history, I don't know what you call it either, Casey, if it's retirement, semi-retirement, but I, I I, did find that I loved the industry and the friendships and the, the, the manufacturers, and um, it's been really fun to be a part of. So I think I probably just chose to re-engage and help some people out and spend some time with the uh, Midwest Machinery guys for a year and a half with some growth they did, and then... Um, doing some advisory work with iron solutions and so forth. So it's been fun. Yep. And that's, that's who is actually sponsoring this, this edition of the moving iron podcast is iron solutions powered by Randall Riley. I forgot to say it in some mercy. We're getting, we're getting trouble. <laughs> we better say something nice about them. In case you <laughs> right. be too hard. They're a good bunch of guys. Yeah, they're a good bunch of people. Over there. Yes. For, yeah. for sure. Um, you're right about the industry, you know, the, the people that you meet and, and the connections that you make is such a small world. Um, even if you're talking about manufacturer specific stuff, I mean, I, I probably know as many, um, you know, I'm in a John Deere dealership, so I know as many, you know, non-John Deere guys as I do John Deere guys. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, uh, you know, I'd love to get your, your take on this. So I started in this business in 2006 and, and there were a lot of people that I went probably the first five years of my entire um, working relationship with them, that if they were standing next to me in an airport, I wouldn't know who they were. I could, I knew their voice, you know, and I, you know, I could do those kind of things, but the, uh, uh, until you really got into, um, cause there weren't really that many, um, when I first started doing this, there weren't really that many especially when it came to used equipment, used equipment centric, um, you know, gatherings of people where you go and build those connections. If you want to build a connection with somebody, you had to, you know, physically get on a plane or a car or whatever and go out and talk to somebody. And that's how you built that relationship. And then email and, you know, a few other things, Skype kind of come along and made those things interesting, but, you know, starting out when you were in the early nineties and stuff like that, I mean, I used to get stories from guys when I first started doing this, I would get, um, you know, manila envelope full of Polaroid pictures of, you know, and they get the Polaroid picture would show up and they'd have 10 or 15 Polaroids of a, of a tractor they were looking at. And they'd kind of go through those Polaroids and look at it and decide if that's what they're going to do or not. And I mean, now if you, if you wait more than five minutes for a set of pictures to come through, somebody's jumping up and down on the other end of the email going on. So talk about how that, that, you know, evolution of the, the, the amount of information that we can do now and, and how the ease of, of, you know, getting a hold of people and just building those relationships has changed over your career. 
you know, it is so funny, Casey. This wasn't in preparation for this. It was just daydreaming about the old days. And I was thinking about the old egg sales manual and egg price guides. Like we physically manually had to configure and price out a tractor. Then you had to flip over to the Deer Financial side. And this wasn't on computer, by the way. It was, um, well, it may have actually been emails. In the 80s, it wasn't, though. And then figure out what there was for programs. They'd mail them out once a month, or if they changed mid-month, it'd be more often and so forth. But you manually basically built a product somebody was looking for and did it on a notebook or a legal pad and so forth. Inventory management and business systems you know, were coming in at that time and we had tools, but certainly not to the degree that we see now to be able to look at availability, not only at deer or feature availability, but at other dealers inventory and so forth. It was a lot of phone and calling around and relationships. Hey, I gave you something last week. Can you give me something this week kind of thing and whatever, but you know, the world, um, first of all, the Polaroid camera thing kind of, I had to chuckle at that because, yeah, we had it. I remember we got our first digital cameras, and that was a really big deal. And, you know, they used that, whatever it is, a three-and-a-half-inch floppy or four-inch yeah. floppy yeah. or whatever. Those, you yeah. could get hold of about 18 pictures on them, and if you email them to a customer, it would take forever. So, yeah. um, you know, I worked at John Deere dealerships, and John Deere is the only one I can really address. But the evolution of their tools for a salesman is astounding. And even the management of an overall business from inventory management to uh, being able to configure a piece of equipment and bring the programs into it, bring the financing piece into it, down to payments and so forth, figure the trade and reconditioning and all the things that dealers have to do there in kind of a one-stop shop. And then on top of that, be able to pass it to a manager to you know approve the deal or preview the deal. And probably the more astounding is to be able to market that piece if you win that trade that very same minute, like instantaneous. You've got all the photos, you got all the description, you got all the codes, you got the pricing done. So if you win the deal, it can be moved out to the internet like within that you know two minute time frame where in the more antiquated years, that process could sometimes take a week or two, but we weren't focused on turn and some of the things you talk about on your podcasts that, you know, keep dealers up at night because we had floor plan terms and some of those kinds of things. So that has all evolved how we get warranty, how we communicate with manufacturers, how we um, get an understanding of new products that are coming. And all of those things has become a lot easier. Unfortunately with that, what hasn't become easier in the life of a salesman is the, you know, the sophistication of the actual machines we're selling is right. unbelievable. I remember like when you configured or figured out of the price pages of 4450, there was, you know, two or three transmission options of a couple, three tire codes or whatever, three point hitch or not, and the number of hydraulics and away you went, right? Today, that same you know, size tractor probably has in excess of 200 build codes. That's crazy. And getting lost in those things of that's the hard part too. Is some of that stuff is that they've, they've kind of, they've really kind of streamlined that a little bit to where now there is a, if you, if you want this, you can't have this type of thing over here, but yeah. even sometimes that doesn't, that's not felt proof by any means, but there, you know, you look at, um, um, I was doing a, I was com- doing a, a track the other day and there were, um, I want to say there's probably 25 tire options. 
you know, just depending on what it was that you wanted to get and how that whole thing came together. And then, um, you know, now you're looking at high flow hydraulics and how many of those do you want? Do you want, you know, the cedar option, these different things that come into play with that. I mean, just all of these things that are just there that are, that are, um, really fine tuning a piece of equipment to where it's not a one size fits all anymore type of approach to equipment. It's really a, what's going to work best for, for Thad's farm. And, and is that in an area, is that kind of a one size fits all yeah, to some extent, it's probably a fair statement, but if you start looking at how these things are specced from a national marketplace that it's amazing how much difference there is in just a single machine across from Ohio to Nebraska. Couldn't agree more, Casey. Then spin that off into valuing of the trade-ins and the yep. impact of those specific geographic favorable codes versus some without, you know, your your twin pump or your high-flow hydraulic pump analogy is is really a perfect one. And those those kinds of things matter. So even outside of the manufacturer, you know, where we go for information and data, we used to, and this probably was just a North Dakota thing, I don't know if you guys had it, but we would look through like the farm and ranch guide and oh, sure. you know, leverage off other dealers' knowledge and, you know, kind of trying to more form your own opinion of what the market is on a piece based on its condition and so forth. So there's a lot more tools from outside vendors today than we've ever had that can bring, you know, like all that stuff to a one-stop shop where you can literally sort through 1,200 pieces of equipment and try to match the hours range and the year model and all that kind of stuff to make those kinds of decisions on, you know, what to put in it and so forth. Yeah. You know, one thing I've, I've always been really intrigued with, and I love asking guys that have been, that have been in the industry for a while, you know, today growing up in the industry, when I started doing it, it wasn't, I mean, 10 store dealerships were kind of a thing, you know, five, six store dealerships were, were kind of fading out at that point And you're starting morphing into a, to these, these bigger, you know, 10 store dealerships. And then you would go, and then we started the next transition, you know, the 15 store dealership and 20 and so on and so forth. When you started doing this and it was a one store dealership and your next dealership that you're competing with was however far away, probably 30 or 40 or 50 miles away, you know, and you're trying to figure out what something's worth and they've got sales guys in your area and they, you've got sales guys in their area and you're trying to build that relationship. So each of you don't just eat off each other's, eat off the same carcass. You know what I mean? Um, you know, how'd you go about doing that to where it was, cause some of that stuff wasn't very amicable in the, in the early days. I just get those old stories about, you know, this guy did this and that guy did that. And, you know, besides every story, but how'd we, you applied, we applied exact science to it, Casey. So what we did, here was our methodology. If the competitor dealer that was 40 miles, by the way, back then there were more like 20 or 30 mm-hmm. was giving them X amount of dollars. We just gave them a little more. That's what it was worth, right? Right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I think, I think today again, you know, compared to then, the evolution has been really, really good. I mean, more data. We live in a world of data, and it's not just our industry; it's automobile industry. It's you know everything, right? So, I think for me, it was interesting to watch kind of dealers evolve because it was unheard of at that time, Casey, when I started to have even a 10 store dealership, right? That was probably not even existent in the nation as far as I know, but, uh, you know, got to work through that with CMB. We started out with, uh, four stores that grew to 13. Some of it was out of necessity. Some of the, you know, dealers were retiring and so forth. 
it's got good and bad. It's not all good, right? Like the ultimate goal is if you don't take care of customers and treat them fairly and provide them with, uh, you know, machines that are going to give them better efficiency, better economy, better productivity, and good service and parts, you're not going to win. I think there was a stigma in our industry where growers weren't looking favorably upon dealers getting too big. I mean, the fear was that, oh, I'm going to pay more because now they control the market area, right. which really couldn't be farther from the truth. So I see now where maybe everybody's gotten more comfortable with that. And I think dealer organizations today are very customer focused, very service focused, very focused on bringing the best products, filling the right needs, you know, the availability of parts where you pool dealerships. I mean, there is a lot of things uh, Casey, looking at our two stores and looking at what CMB eventually grew to, which was 38 stores where you can consolidate payroll and consolidate HR and have, you know, the use sales managers that you referenced earlier and technology people, AMS people. I mean, prior to that, your AMS guy was probably one of your salesmen that took the time to, you know, study that product or whatever. The sales manager was probably the dealer principal, you know, that conducted the meetings and yep values on things and so forth. So I think there's there's good and bad, but it's really interesting to see how um, that sentiment has shifted and these larger dealers really do get it. And I think they understand that ultimately, you know, what's good for the grower is good for us. And I think oh. that, you know, John Deere Company understands that too, right? And Case and other competitors that we've got to bring products to the market that are reliable and productive and economical and have the technology piece in them. And that's kind of what makes the world go around. Probably as much as watching in awe of how dealerships evolved is how our growers evolved. Sure, that's a good I mean, we've got, yeah. We're dealing with growers yeah. that have agronomists and they're no longer you know, just scratching the dirt to see how deep their seat is or whatever they are business people through and through with, uh, you know, exacting controls on expenses and the amount of fertility and when to fertilize and the right genetics for crops and managing their fleet, which, you know, used to be probably maybe a 10th of the investment they had in their actual land. Mm-hmm. Now we've got growers that probably have a bigger, you know, cash investment in their fleet sure. of equipment than they do in land because they're renting a lot of land, right? Yep. So just helping them to manage that fleet, when to trade, what's going to, you know, used to be what, how much is it going to cost me to trade, how much to boot rate. Now it's people that are in the egg industry are asking questions like, how much does that cost me per bushel, per acre, per bale? Yeah. And starting to think in terms of how do I keep my operation as efficient? As I can, because as you know, growers are as pinched for margins as, as dealers are. I mean, we don't oscillate on big, huge margins. So I think just, you know, watching watching how, how egg producers have evolved is probably, to me, more fascinating than how dealers have evolved. Yep. And I would... I would say that I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's that's one of those things where you watch. It kind of goes back to the to the single store, you know, thing you're talking about. Like, where's there's a if we have probably three customers, and I could think off the top of my head that would in our in our dealership inside of our OR that have probably um, that could easily do. Um, yeah, probably three to four stores. Um, they could call home just because of how they farm and where, the, where those stores are at and what that looks like. And 
to kind of go back to your to your earlier statement is if you know if each one of those stores were individually owned and operated stores sooner or later someone's going to run out of money and and they're going to make a bad deal or they're going to do this they're going to do that and and one person is going to end up with with that uh, you know that whole area anyway so watching that happen and then you start taking a look at one thing else i would say about customers that i would i think has changed a lot is the the direct emotional attachment to equipment you know when i I started doing this thing you know there were that's dad's playing tractor that's mom's bailing tractor that's you know whatever everybody had a tractor and and it was there was always a big emotional attachment to what it was now are there is that emotional attachment there that hey you know i do this to my tractor so it's worth more thing yeah that stuff's always going to be there that's always going to be part of that but now the the feeling of the customer interaction with the dealership when it comes to that piece of equipment is it's almost to the point where it's the same level of input as i look at my fertilizer costs or my seed costs or something like that where they are totally looking at it from a this is how much it costs me to operate this piece of equipment and this is what it this is how it fits into my structure and that's that i think that's the one thing that kind of back to your point earlier how the evolution of the sales guys coming into um has changed really over the last five to ten years how that's really changed into a different discussion that people are having with the customer about whatever it is that they're talking about yeah, I think pride in your fleet is still existent. People oh, certainly yeah. can be big and still take very good care and do the oil changes and servicing and so forth. But I think the bigger fleets of equipment, you know, there's more reliance on the dealer to help manage the service intervals, manage the trade intervals, manage the technology. Um, you know, the connection piece to a dealer is really stronger than ever. I think that, you know, there was certainly loyal customers in the 80s. And I don't want to say anything about that, but I think you're right. I mean, that piece of equipment really in their eyes is more of a tool. It's like a mechanic, you know, the set of snap on wrenches, they take good care of them. They make sure they don't lose them. And Mm -hmm. um, the tool should make them be able to do something more efficiently or quicker or better than the neighbor and so forth. So um, that has all been a huge change. The technology thing, Casey, probably we didn't key in on that. You know, a lot of that came into play in the mid nineties when we first were able to collect harvest data and so forth and really lived in a world where, okay, it's great. We got all this stuff, but what do we do with it? Like we didn't really have variable rate planters. We didn't really have um, variable rate air seeders and fertilizer applicators and so forth. But that for me probably has been the, you know, the biggest technological advancement in our dealerships to be, mindful of i think in like 2000 deer started talking about maybe having a dedicated you know technology person at the dealerships and i think these large organizations today have three four five and agronomists and you know people that can help make decisions so i think you know the consultative selling part was always there but i think what we owe growers is really to be able to help put the right machine in the right field at the right time to do the right job right and that's uh that's you know it's a big responsibility but i've always believed that there is deals in this world that work out really good for both parties and you know what i found is growers if you can bring them solutions that help make them more efficient or put more money to the bottom line you know you can align very very well but you got to know 
your manufacturer's machines. You got to know your own inventory. You got to know, you know, the service part of it. You got to have parts people that are capable to get that part at the right time and get the right one the first time and so forth. So it's kind of a whole team thing at the dealership and it probably always has been. But I think today, when you look at the capacity of like a, you know, X9 combine, right, the bushels per hour, just two more hours of downtime could be catastrophic. You're talking, you know, major dollars on the line to, to not have machines that have, you know, they're up and running. So, yep. I think one thing I think has been the biggest game changer. I think when you start talking about efficiencies for your customers, what does that look like is, is how telematics has played into that. You know, and you, you sit down with a customer and, you know, there's some guys that just want the biggest possible machine they can get. And there's some guys that just want the smallest possible because it's the cheapest. And you start really paying attention to what they're doing. And you uh, really open some eyes when they start seeing, hey, you know what, this machine this machine has been um, doing, you know, only been using 50% of its capacity, no matter what you're doing. Uh, this machine's been using 90% of its capacity. Um, it's idled half the hours, you know, and or something right. like that. Start having that conversation with them. It makes, it makes a totally different approach to how that feels. And then you start talking about managing logistics and what's that look like and where you have things at and what are you doing, where, how you moving equipment around from field to field to field. Um, and, you know, the, the ability to, to push codes and, or to, I'm sorry, to push um, uh, different software out to those machines in the field and really keep things going the best you can. I mean, looking back on, on that evolution, that, that's got to be one of those things you, in your mind, even just no longer than a little bit of time that I've been in this business, just going back and looking at how that's changed over my career. I can't imagine what that looks like in your eyes from when you started Whoa. Absolutely. How can you not be in awe of a machine that can self-diagnose, send a message to your dealer, here's the parts that are going to be needed for this impending failure, right. and the dealer can actually, and I had a grower tell me, it's like I had a service truck in the corner of my field, and I didn't even know I had a problem yet. Yeah. They can get alerts on cell phones. I mean, the, the leveraging off of cell technology and all the things we have today, and it hasn't it hasn't made everything easier necessarily. You know, there's a learning curve to be able to embrace the technology and actually make it make a difference in your operation. But this like fuel you were talking about in idle time and multiple operators, you know, we're dealing with growers that have 20 hired people. And if one guy's idling more than the others, that's quick and easy to manage. And that, you know, close to $5 farm fuel, those things make a big difference. Yeah. I think there's a, uh, and looking at the technology you see now, and now you're talking about planners and stuff like that. And this kind of goes back to the spec thing and, and kind of looking at that, you know, where we first started out that it was, you know, you had, you know, ground engaged, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm losing my mind here, ground engaged, like seeding components that were all driven off of chains and whatnot. And the faster you went, the faster it planted and those kind of things um, to half with disconnect to, you know, an individual row shut off to, um, you know, electric drive, those kind of things where you can really start putting in seed prescriptions and you start looking at that. Now, different places are going to have a different kind of approach to how these these specs work out. You know, we start talking about combines. Some areas are big four-wheel drive combines. Some areas are two-wheel drive combines. Some, you know, the uh, different you know, spreader versus chopper, those kind of things. We start looking at, at those kind of things, you know, as as 
as CMB grew and you were looking at those things, you had to have pockets of areas, especially going from, you know, Montana all the way over to, to Minnesota. I mean, you had to have some areas in there where, you know, not all specs are equal, right? And you might have a really high spec machine in Minnesota and that's what the guys in Minnesota like to have, but get over to Montana and that they don't want necessarily care about having the leather seat and those kind of things. So I guess when you look at those, those that talk a little bit, how, how are you, how you used to look at, Hey, this is a, this spec matters here, but it doesn't matter here. Right. Well, I think one thing Casey is to be aware that even in Montana, you know, it, it, to us or to me, it was apparent that the, the growers that dealt with the highest input costs, like a sugar beet grower, for example, or, you know, corn growers or whatever were the inputs at that time were a lot higher than wheat growers and so forth, kind of embraced a lot of that, you know, technology first, the exact apply, exact emerge, those kinds of things that really did deliver a difference. You know, it wasn't just a sales pitch, right? So to me, there was also, you know, just a lot of people and especially this next generation that we're dealing with, you know, where dad is off to the side and the son's making the decision. I mean, technology becomes a, a big part of that. And I'm not saying the people my age or the growers I dealt with back then didn't embrace the technology, but for everybody that embraced it, there was a handful that feared it too, right? Like this thing is going to be hard to operate. What are all these buttons on my combine and all that? And it's very intimidating, even for me as a salesman selling to those people to understand how to optimize that machine to do the best job in the field. So I don't think the technology uptake necessarily had, you know, geographical boundaries or whatever. We had uh, cattle people putting up hay that were using auto track on windrowers because of efficiency. You know, if you're not taking the whole 14 or 15 or 16 foot cut or whatever it was, to be able to make it more productive, you know, the cattle guys were embracing technology on um, things that made hay preserve over, you know, wetter moisture content and some of that stuff. So I think the, you know, the geographic thing, I think the whole country um, has gotten to where we embrace technology. I mean, there's even more on the horizon, right? With, you know, the ability to see a weed and spray it, the, the drone technology and you know, all the things that are, not coming, but are actually here, um, has been really neat. And I think part of that two cases that we don't talk about is just being good stewards of the land. Yep. You know, the whole no-till, um, low-till kind of concepts that came in to minimize erosion, um, you know, exact apply on sprayers to not over-apply chemical that does, you know, could do damage to the environment. I'm not trying to come across as like an environmentalist, but I'm saying those things do matter because I think farmers first and foremost, you know, care about being good stewards of our land. So we got something to pass on exactly. to the next generation. So, yep. So I think when you're, uh, so you and I, I remember you and me, you're in Fennel and, um, uh, what, who was it with Tim, uh, Tim, Tim Schultz, Tim Schultz, Schultz in there. Yep. Yep. And we somehow convinced you that Deadwood was halfway between where you were and halfway between where we were. Yeah. <laughs> we might have lied a little bit on that one, but, but it was, <laughs> we, we still didn't know the difference. I didn't know until you just said it, Casey. <laughs> but, but we got together one day and we sat down in this room and, and you were toying with the idea of, you know what, we need to figure out how to, how to make something that we can easily adapt to our business. And 
And I was like, you know, I'm trying to figure out the same thing too. And we kind of kicked around the idea of what that looked like. And we went through, I don't know how many iterations of an in-house guide that I tried to make before I finally said, I can't keep up with the changes in the, in the, in the, you know, some, there's not enough hours in the day to keep track of what's going on and, and try to feed, feed that Excel spreadsheet, the right data. So when you pull it up, it's there. So kind of, I kind of gave that up, but that's another thing too, is the evolution of, of the ability to the ease of, of the evaluation process when it comes to user equipment. The amount of information that we have at our fingertips now is, is hell, it's more now than it was a year ago. I mean, so I can, you know, you go back 20 years, I can't imagine what it, what it looked like there, but going through that, iteration and the number of tools that are out there that you can use and, and systems that are out there that you can use give you a lot of information, but there's still the nothing. No, there's still not the easy button. You know, the people are still, I get that question all the time, you know, like, and they're hitting around about what, what's the easy button. How do you make it work? And I always say it's not used equipment, evaluating, valuing used equipment and, and being a used equipment manager is probably the easiest thing on the planet. The hard part about it is the discipline that goes in with it. You know, when you make the decision to take that piece to an auction or do the write down or, um, you know, flush it out or, you know, you put too much recon in it to start with and you knew that day one and you wait till day 180 to make that decision to, to do something. And by then you've missed selling cycles and all those kind of things. I've always, I've always thought you had a, had a pretty good approach to that thing when you're looking at that. So when you're, when you're going through that process in your head and you're looking at some of the stuff that you're doing now, you know, you're working with iron solutions and, and you're doing stuff they have there. When you're going through that stuff today and you're looking at those things, how are you using your experience that you have to kind of help guide and coach some of these different projects you're part of right now? Yeah. Good question. So we, like you at CNB went down the path of thinking we were, you know, smart enough to build our own trade guides for everything. And, you know, part of the used equipment valuation that you said it's easy, it's probably easier for valuing it for today. However, if you hold it for three months, what's the market going to be in, you know, in the environment we're in today where product is nine months or greater out? In some cases, it's really hard to anticipate those trends. So really what we need is a crystal ball, right? Just so we can be more right most of the time. But I think part of the reason I... Um, signed on with Iron Solutions is that relationship started back then, just like yourself being on their, uh, you know, dealer advisory panel and so forth. And I guess kind of um, right about the time that Randall Riley, you know, purchased them was the ability to leverage off of a mega amount of data. And, you know, we've got all this data now, what do we do with it? But I think the, the culture is there that they want to be more in touch with dealers and, you know, able to anticipate dealers' needs and, you know, try to bring cutting-edge tools to the marketplace that can not only figure out what's going on today, but look forward, right? And being mindful of that they can't advise dealers what to do, but it's like the old, I don't remember if it was NBC or ABC, we report, you decide kind of thing. If we can serve up that data in a kind of on a silver platter, so to speak, to a dealer, and then they can use that, whether it's auction data or current inventory at dealerships data or for sale stuff. And then the solds, you get to kind of put a flavor on, where is my low end? Because as sales managers, that's what we're really trying to decide, Casey. If we stay at this market, we think we can get this. We hope we can get the floor level or the wholesale amount. 
which obviously that gap is closed with product availability and so forth. But I think these guys are very um, data rich. I think we're within striking distance of developing comparable tools, you know, which um, do just what I mentioned, being able to look at what's available for sale that matches code for code, by the way, which is a big deal. Like we both know on a combine, it's easy to vary the price well over a hundred thousand, which oh, is sure. probably a fifth of the price, right? On tractors, yeah. Yeah. same thing. And which one of those codes matter in your geography. So the goal is to develop tools that dealers can use. One of their um, founding principles is try to make it a one-stop shop. And I think the unique difference there is the relationship they've had with John Deere, you know, through the evaluator product, which is powered by solutions to be able to, at least for Deere dealers, um, integrate those tools is the hope to be able to keep a dealership personnel, whether it's sales manager, salesman, or even sometimes you're showing the customer, I can't give you, you know, X amount, 350,000 for your trade when they're out here at 320, right? right. Um, to be able to give them a mobile enabled solution to better be able to understand what is my trade value today and what will it be, you know, at anticipated trade time, right? And, you know, forward looking is always more uncomfortable than, than rear view mirrors, right? But we're all really good at that. But I think that, you know, they've, they've certainly, that guidebook has come so far and you've been a part of that too, where the hours adjusting used to be X amount if it had a hundred hours or if it had 10,000, well, obviously that didn't work. So there's a lot of work. I've, I've been like overwhelmed with the amount of, um, behind the scenes things that go on to help, you know, clean the data to make it accurate, to make it real time. So it's served back in a manner that it's makes a difference. You know, what went on two years ago probably isn't that informative, right? So kind of more to come on that, but I think, you know, a lot of the products they brought with EDA and some of the other entities, and even for competitive dealers, there's, you know, the pro products and some of the stuff that, do make our lives easier and make those decisions probably more informed. They yeah. won't make your decisions perfect, but at least if you make a bad decision based on good information, it probably won't be as detrimental to your business, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so that's what everyone's looking for. At your fingertips, one-stop shop, cellular enabled, that's kind of the stretch goal and be able to match down to specific build codes that are meaningful, right? I think the build code thing that I find, I think the, the real trick when it comes to the build code situation, why it's so important to have that accuracy there is because, you know, you look at, well, let's use, use a chopper and a, and a spreader, for example. If you look at a chopper and a spreader, and depending on where you're at in the world, um, the difference between those when they're new is fifteen to 25000 bucks. It just depends on, on really what it is, you know, it's a, you look at that difference in in the used marketplace, and it could be, it might be two and a half to three times as much depending on where you're at, right? So if you if you were in a a chop part of the world where choppers are a big deal, I mean, if a combine's got a spreader on it, it's almost it, it might as well not have have tires on it. You know what I mean? It's, it's just it's not bad. But on the flip side of that, if you have that same machine in an area where spreaders are a big deal, no one's gonna just you're gonna have a hard time getting the value out of that that chopper comes into it. So 
understanding what those codes are and where you're at make a huge difference in, in what that is. And you can peanut butter that across, you know, the choppers sell better nationwide, probably because there's a lot more, you know, corn and soybeans out there than there is wheat, you know, right. but, but at the end of the day, it all depends on what the, what the end user is going to be using as far as, um, especially if you go and talking about a no-till situation um, or even a minimum till situation, what they're doing with residue, how's that playing into their, into their farming operation. And that makes yep. a difference in what it is. So you're right. When you're looking at, at those specs, it makes a huge difference in, in what you're doing, because like I said, it's not just one of those deals where it's this much difference in the, in the price book. It's this much difference on the overall market. And I think that's one of the deals when I was building my thing was I, I was kind of hanging my hat on, Hey, you know, what? it's a percent of MDP. That's how we're going to look at it. You know, what percent of what it, what it costs a dealership. And that's how we're going to manage that. Well, you, you throw that, that one easy monkey wrench into the situation and it doesn't necessarily tell you the story that, that you think it's going to tell you. So it's a, it's a, it's an ever evolving um, amount of, of science and, and art that kind of have to come together at the same time. It really is. And we, you know, we just met with some dealer groups and I won't name them, but they're now hiring data management people and they're like, there's a new one. So that data management person is trying to take all this, you know, data that's available and then serve it up. So I think you hit on two things. I think the ability to sort down the codes because codes do matter. Absolutely. Um, you know, an, an older example that that's been around forever, right? Like contour master on combine is, Sure. Might have been a $3,500 deal back in the day when they came out in, you know, 89 or whatever. It became a real big deal in resale. It could have affected the ability to even sell that in a lot of markets. Yeah. Now, we both know our marketplace has opened up a lot, too. I remember in rugby when I sold my first combine into Canada, which was 40 miles away. That seemed like a, well, I guess it was actually an export deal, but seemed like a big deal. Today, we're selling, you know, as you know machinery all over the place. We're selling machinery to dealers that don't necessarily fit our trade area. But the distinct advantage I think that Iron Solutions brings to the table is they've got those build codes captured through the evaluator product. And more importantly, the guide codes, if dealers are trade guide valuing them within the evaluator tool, right? right. So as the sold reports flow through, that can be matched out. I am not going to throw daggers at competitors because I think they're wonderful people and we've, you know, I've used products and, and I think they have their place in the market, right? Like everybody's got their story, but I think that there's some people out there that are, you know, using fuzzy searches to get down to these codes. And um, you might call a combined four wheel drive, four wheel drive, or you might call it power rear wheel drive, or, you know, the industry has never really landed on a common platform of vernacular for some of these codes. We just did another one with twin pump versus big pump or high flow hydraulics or whatever. So some of those codes you can't necessarily capture out. And I don't think data people have the the resources or the bandwidth to have a team of people scrubbing all that data and getting it served back correctly. So I guess I feel like that's a super huge, you know, advantage that that we're going to be able to bring to the market. That would be on inventory and solds auction data, you know, unfortunately is purchased or brought into us. So that would still have to be, you know, looked at differently. So. Yeah, that's the, uh, that, that is true. I mean, I think there's a, uh, there's a lot of tools out there and, 
all of them have their place. You just got to figure out which one is going to yeah. give you the best information. And it's, it's going to be a, you know, that's, that's one of those things where I think some of the ones that are the tried and true things that have been around forever, I think they're going to really have to just pay attention to what those are and, and what does that look like. And, and, you know, it's, it's going to be a ever evolving thing that people have to stay on top of for sure. Forever. I, I couldn't agree more. And like I said earlier, these, the amount of codes and the amount of different ways to configure and build product today is advanced at a pace that's exponential, right? Like just configuration on planters is just such a lot of stuff there. So I think, you know, the, 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 the ability to just use tribal knowledge or read the tea leaves that we used to do in the industry or leverage off relationships like part of that meeting with you guys with 21st was just to further the relationship and be able to, you know, call up how many times have we called each other? What are you guys feeling about this trend or this value or this product or whatever? Um, I think with this data being scrubbed as accurate as it can be, it will not be perfect. Serve back to us in a one-stop shop where we're not having to open up multiple applications. Like if I'm already, dealing with my trade, it knows its codes and I can bring in all the stuff that's out there for sale or has been sold, sort it by recency, bring it into the right, you know, your model, the right hour time frame, um, and be able to make, you know, good sound decisions based on that amount of intelligence being kind of brought forth in a common platform, I think would be like super helpful, right? Sure. Agreed. 100%. And before we open up another can of worms, we could go down the whole another 40 minute podcast on just talking about the different, how, how you know, we start looking at planners. Now you're not only you have to worry about planner specs, you got to worry about all the bolt on technology that you can put on planners and sprayers now. And, you know, tractors aren't that far away. We start looking what's how autonomy is going to play into that and how those things are going to go in there. And just like everything, I'm sure there's going to be some factor somewhere. There's going to be a hard stop someplace, you know, that can't go past this point. And uh, for about electrification, oh, and that's a whole other thing. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's that changes that changes all kinds of stuff. You start looking at that. So I mean, there's there's so much stuff coming down the pike here that just getting your dealership ready for those things, you have to start thinking such so far in advance of what it is that you're doing today. And how that's going to affect what you're doing, not just tomorrow, but in five years, because that's that is that growth that we see is, is going to be there. And, and and the internet's made the world such a small place that you know our, our customers will know as much as we know, if not more, when it comes to what they're doing, because they're they're specifically looking for something, and, and they're going to hone in on that one thing. And you know, we we can be. Uh, a lot of time it feels like we are a jack of all trade, master of none type of approach to 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 what we're doing in the uh, in the equipment business. We know enough to be dangerous. We got to go back in and and study whatever platform we're looking at to get those those nuances in there. But there's a lot of stuff coming that makes a huge difference in in what's that look like. And to me, I think this is why I'm so I'm so passionate about especially used equipment more than anything is because there's a whole new world that's going to open up that, that you, you've been in the business. How long you say 38 years? So you said mm-hmm. you know, 38 years, it, the playbook that you have for the past 38 years will have no effect on what, how we do business 
in in the coming future. Some of that will translate into that, but so much of that is is rewriting of the way things have been are going to be done in the future. That it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride to be part of that and, and kind of see the the pitfalls and the and the successes that come into play. I think you know as much as things change, some things will be the same. I mean, our business sure. has always been driven around customer relationships, bringing value to a deal. You know, not trying not to be a one-hit wonder or win on one deal or hit a home run. Like I referenced earlier, there's deals that can work for both parties, but I think the relationship part has stayed the same. The trust part, the you know, ability to service, the that type of thing. The, the changes, um, yes, Casey, like being able to look forward and think forward. I can't fathom in my own mind what a, you know, ownership group or leadership group of a, you know, billion dollar sales organization thinks about at night, right? What keeps them up. But I do know this, and this was actually at a dealer convention in, I think, Fargo, North Dakota, a couple of years ago, last one I went to. They had the guy that killed bin Laden speak, one of the best speakers I've ever been to, Robert O'Neill. And you see him on TV and so forth. But his message really was one of, you have a plan, you try to stick to a plan, but somehow the plan is going to fail. And certainly when they finally got bin Laden, that was very evident, right? With a helicopter crashing and how do we get out and all these things. But his message really for dealers or, you know, business businesses of any kind is the ability to be, you know, light on your feet and change. And if you look back to 13, which you were around then, you know, what probably killed us or hurt our dealerships more than anything was, pride and the unwillingness to accept that we had maybe yes. we had maybe partaken a little hard in the whole party and you know yeah. wake up the next day and here's the hangover but um I, I think that that that's a piece of it too is the ability to change and be nimble enough to be able to call an audible or call a different you know play in the middle of it and i think you know everybody's searching for the answer what's going on now you know with the combine market and what segment's going to get hit first? When is this whole thing going to end? And, you know, how is it going to affect equipment costs? We know that putting, you know, more than its dealer cost back into a machine when it's one year old and 500 hours by definition probably is crazy, but we've made it work for, you know, well over a year, right? Lots of dealers are doing it. Yep. That will, you know, that will probably undoubtedly come to an end i think product availability plays into it so i think it's just being able to read through all that but the good news is this industry has unbelievable youth and talent and people that are thinkers like yourself i mean that's been really neat for me is just to be able to you know be a part of that with the younger people that we've been able to attract into our industry that was not always easy especially with technicians and so forth but i think you know, the egg industry has come into its own. I think technology played a big piece of that. You know, college kids back in the 80s probably didn't go to egg college to go work for a dealership. It wasn't that glamorous of a business, right? But now with nicer, you know, newer dealerships and the technology piece and the products we have to offer, I think it's become, I think we're going to be all right. We've got a lot of really good talent, and I, I've been able to be fortunate enough to be a part of that at two different dealerships, right? Yeah, and that's the uh, – I'd agree with that because I'm not a farm kid. I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't grow anywhere – knew anything near a farm. I hauled hay one summer, and I was smart enough to find something else to do. So 
<laughs> so yeah, no, it, it's a. Uh, was it square? Was it square bales, Casey? Because I'm not square. Little square bales, and uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was one of those summers where I, I found a job next summer that paid me twice as much and had to work half as hard. So I felt pretty smart. So I was, thought that was the uh, the best way to go there. So well, that was a good experience too. That's probably where you got your upper body strength and your build. Something I got something from it. And I, I, but I did enjoy every every day of that. That was fun. It was good group of guys on that on that hay crew. That was a lot of fun. So, yeah. with that, that's a good place to stop, man. If folks want to reach out to you and, and get more information about what it is you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Uh, welcome to call on my cell phone 507-236-4699. Always fun to talk to industry people. Um, you know, share experiences, good, bad, uh, that type of thing. So. That would be probably the best. My email is Shively, that's S-H-I-V-E-L-Y, Thad, T-H-A-D, at gmail.com. So either way, always good to hear from old friends and so forth. So, Absolutely. Well, Thad, I appreciate you taking the time to be on here, and it's always fun to catch up with you, man. Absolutely, and I appreciate you letting me be a part of it. I don't know if any of that made any sense to anybody, but at least we got through an hour. The other thing I always admire about you, Casey, is an hour podcast would never be an hour. I I knew full well that we'd have to run over at least one minute, but I do credit you. It was just one minute. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. I appreciate you, man. Take care of yourself and enjoy that that Florida. We'll do it. Stay in touch here, Casey. We'll see you soon, hopefully. Okay, man. Take care of yourself. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and go over to the YouTube channel, which is Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out there. Go to um, Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. And you check out the Moving Iron Summit coming here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Uh, get all the information on the Moving Iron website, which you're about to have a brand new one of those, by the way. So knocking on the door of a brand new website over there with Moving Iron Podcast. Check that out. That'll be released here hopefully in the next uh, next three days or so. So it'll be kind of a cool thing to check out. Uh, want more information about the Moving Iron Summit? Send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com, and I'll get back to you with whatever information you're asking for. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Thad Shively. Let's go with Iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again 
si 